0: First Baptist my family it's, it's isn't it great that we can be together again I'm, I'm really enjoying seeing you and being here rather than watching it online but um, just, just grateful to be able to do this So, would you join me in prayer please Father in heaven I think about what Sam read at the beginning of the service and how awesome and powerful and, and that Jesus is that you are that you are in charge of everything. And uh, you were not taken by surprise by COVID-19. You're not taken by surprise by anything. And Father, I pray for us as a body of believers that we um, truly learn to trust in you, have our total faith in you, not other distractions. Um, I just pray a protection over our church, over your church and the world as we start to face... I think, more and more um, challenging issues that are going to cause us to decide do we really want to follow you or not. And uh, I just pray that you strengthen us at, at this time in history. Um, Father, as Chad comes up to preach, I pray that you fill him with your spirit, that he, uh, that the, the message that he brings, as he always does, that he presents it clearly and that we, we just don't walk out the door and do nothing about it. We take it to heart, and we live for you. Father, thank you so much for what you do for us, who you are, and um, what you've done in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: (coughs) Thanks, Marcus. Good morning, First Baptist Church. Uh, It's great to see you here today. Quick reminder, we are having a brief business meeting at the end of the service, actually at the end of both services today. If you could stick around and Uh, If you're a member, we would like you to uh, participate in that and vote. We're actually voting on a paragraph to add to our constitution in regard to our stance on marriage. Uh, We are adding a paragraph to just make it very clear that we believe marriage is between one man and one woman. So if you are able to stick around for that, we would love for you to do so. I want to tell you a quick story about a friend of mine named Larry. Actually, Larry and his wife Cher visited here last summer. Uh, You may have remembered meeting him but larry used to sing with a band back in west virginia a little uh little chorus that used to go to small churches and they would do music for those small churches but he had an experience at one church that was unique to any other experience that he had they got there they did their setup they did their normal thing they sang their songs as usual and towards the end of the service they had got up and they were going to sing some closing songs and a member of the church brought in some plastic totes, big plastic totes, up to the front of the church. And they continued singing, and uh, they took the lids off those plastic totes. And people slowly started coming forward. And they reached down into those plastic totes and pulled out handfuls of rattlesnakes and copperheads. And when Larry looked around. He was kind of mesmerized. He was the only singer left standing at the front of that church. They had ran when they saw those snakes coming out. To this day, there are still snake handling churches in West Virginia. Not many. For, for good or ill, not many. But they believed that to be a statement of faith, that they would hold these snakes. But uh, that changed his view of some churches. Now, do you remember the first time you were ever invited to a church? Maybe there were no poisonous snakes that were brought out during the service, but maybe you ran into some, you could say, poisonous people that made it not such a great experience. And frankly, when, they, when you invite someone to church today, what do you believe their perception is? of church they actually did a survey this was recorded on churchleaders.com of it was 20 to 30 somethings that were asked what is your perception of the church and they had several answers the top four were first of all that the church is an organized religion with a political agenda it's primary about politics secondly the church is judgmental and negative. negative third that the church is dominated by males and oppresses females. And then finally, that the church is homophobic. And by the way, I wanna make something very clear right now. Uh, If you are a person sitting out there today that struggles with same-sex attraction, and I've met multiple, multiple Christians in other places I've lived, that struggle with this. I hope you know this is a safe place to struggle. Uh, I hope you feel loved and embraced. But these were the four main perceptions of the church. If you were to ask people about First Baptist Church of Sheridan, who maybe had never been, had been here before, what would be their perception? So when we're inviting people to church, what is it they think they're coming, up, they're, they're, they're coming to? And do we, if we're going to be really honest, do we have such an anemic view, frankly, of our faith and our belief that this may even be our opinion from time to time? So the subject I want to talk about this morning is what has God invited me to? What is it that God has invited me to in my Christian faith, in my walk, when I come to church? He invites me to be part of this assembly of believers, but what exactly should that assembly look like? What am I invited to? And the passage we're going to look at comes from Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 29. I want to give you a heads up before we read that section. It speaks of two mountains. It speaks about Mount Sinai first, the place where, uh, after the Israelites had received the, uh, after they had just left Egypt and they were about to receive the Ten Commandments, Moses went up on Mount Sinai, and it was a pretty frightening and terrible experience to be close to that mountain, to the holiness of God. But then there's a second mountain that's depicted uh, in this passage as well. It's Mount Zion, and it's a completely different experience. It's a completely different type of relationship that's recorded in Mount Zion, referring to the New Covenant, as opposed to Mount Sinai, the Old Covenant. And then that section closes with a warning. So if you would, please stand with me as we read these verses. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, the, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You may be seated. We've got two more weeks where we'll be in the book of Hebrews. We're winding the book down again every week. I hope that when you think about the book of Hebrews too, this theme will come into your mind so it gives you some context as you look in that book, that the message primarily to the people to whom this letter is written is don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. And this morning I'd like to approach this idea of God's invitation to us. First of all, I'd like to talk about what we are not invited to. That's mountain one. Then what we are invited to, that's mountain two. And then finally, I wanna talk about three elements of the invitation. So the two mountains, what we are not invited to, what we are invited to, and then finally, uh, the three elements of the invitation. So first of all, let's look at this first mountain that we're not invited to. And it's a place that frankly, I would like to see from a distance. You can imagine what it would have been like, and I can't help but get this image in my mind. Now, if you look really closely, at the very bottom of that picture is a volcano erupting. There's a plume going up, and then there's this, uh, there's this phenomenon called uh, eruption lightning, where the plume goes up, and then there's a lot of static electricity. So you've got lightning that envelops the plume of the volcano. Now, there's about 100 things in this picture that'll kill you. You know, if, it, if not the explosion, if not the lava, if not breathing in the ash... The the lightning. And when we think about Mount Sinai and what Moses walked up to the peak of, I can't help but think something along these lines. This was God's holiness in the face of man's sinfulness. But what was most terrifying was the voice. Look what it says in verse 19. And a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Is this the message that you grew up with in Christianity? An easy loss of salvation, fear, stay away, don't come close. This is a message of unworthiness. That the people were unworthy and couldn't get close to this mountain. Gosh, I hope nobody gets this impression here at First Baptist. We've got to be very careful how we portray this Christian life. This is the first mountain. This is what we are not invited to. Then let's look at what we are invited to in verses 22 through 24. It says that you have come to Mount Zion. Zion was both a physical mountain. It was the place of Jerusalem, the city of those whom God had a covenant with, an agreement. It was also a picture of the afterlife. Mount Zion is the place where eternity would be lived out. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in festival gathering. He's looking forward. He's looking at this giant angel party. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven... That is, those saints who have died are now in heaven with him. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Those who died, and because God had made them perfect, then entered into heaven. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That is to say, Abel was murdered. His blood cried out for justice. But this blood cries out To provide mercy. That's the distinction between those two kinds of blood there. And this is a party that everyone wants to be at. It's a party with God himself. It's innumerable angels. It's this blood that brings mercy. See, these are the privileges that we have when we are called to faith in Christ. And it speaks of relationships and grace and forgiveness. See, this second mountain is a mountain that screams, come to me. Don't stay distant. Be here. Be where I'm at. This is a place of joy. Joy unspeakable. Do you know that joy in the Christian life is is not an option? That joy in the Christian life is actually a requirement. I love what c.s lewis says about this joy he says true joy is the ache for something beyond this world the holy spirit uses this restlessness to awaken spiritual hunger when little moments of life like the way the light falls on a summer evening stir you with a deep longing that's hard to define don't look to earthly pursuits to fill the void instead allow the ache to push you deeper into your relationship with god pursue him, allow that longing for him to become the hottest fire in your heart. That is to say the, the thing that you want to pursue more so than anything else. This is a joy that, that transcends our circumstances. You know, on any given day, uh, I may get a little homesick, you know, I may grieve some lost friendships, people I've just lost touch with, but that ache can push you towards God when you feel it. See, ultimately, he wants to be the main satisfier of our hearts. So when we heard this, this in this way, I, even in just seeing the brevity of something beautiful and then wishing it would last forever should push you towards the God that created it. He's the one we're invited to. So I want to talk for the rest of the time about what does this look like in our lives. I want to talk about some specifics that we are invited to. I mentioned them just now, but three elements you could say of this this invitation that God is extending to us. And the first one is an invitation to relationship. An invitation to relationship. And I've said it before, Christianity is a team sport. We are called to community. That's one of the reasons we now have R.P. Rogers here is to help us be intentional about getting each person at First Baptist Church in a group. It's a process. It's going to take some time. But we would like to see people here knowing each other in groups, small groups that meet in people's homes, mid-sized groups that meet here in the church. These opportunities for authentic relationships to happen. And, it, it, and we have to be in, intentional about it. And community is essential. It is essential in our growth as believers. We cannot grow in our faith if we are not in community with other Christians. There's a book called Fearless by Max Lucado. He talks about this. He says, questions can make hermits out of us, driving us into hiding. He says, yet the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage through community. He dissipates doubts through fellowship. He never deposits all knowledge in one person, but distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. When you interlock your your understanding with mine, and we share our discoveries, when we mix, mingle, confess, and pray, Christ speaks. This is how God works. But this requires relationships to unravel these mysteries of God that we so desperately want answers to. We do it together. And then secondly, this is an invitation to grace. This is an invitation to grace. This could be one of the greatest misconceptions of the church and Christianity. Frankly, maybe we haven't done a great job of impressing upon people that this is about grace. This is a, a faith and a religion of, of grace. But it's easy to miss. And, and if you try to define what grace is if you go to a a theology book for example you'll you'll get something like this grace is god's goodness toward those who deserve only punishment that's a pretty good definition okay well that's what it sort of is but but a a definition doesn't really do it justice see kind of like the definition of a horse if you just define it it's a large plant eating domesticated mammal with Solid hoofs and a flowing mane and tail used for riding, racing, and to carry and pull loads. That's the definition of a horse. But frankly, does that really do a horse justice? I mean, you've got to ride a horse. You've got to feel that wind coming across the horse's mane and, and going through your hair if you have it. You've got to experience the muscles under the horse tensing up. Grace needs to be experienced. A spouse may experience grace when they confess to their other spouse about some online porn problem. They feel that spouse's arms around them. They see, that's grace. And grace can be hard. It can be pushed through a broken heart Grace is when our parents pay for us to get an education when the only thing we've given them is pain and heartache. See, them giving us those good gifts, that's grace. Grace is when Jesus Christ stayed on that cross, endured the punishment to give us life everlasting, to give us good gifts like a good loving father gives his son. See, that is grace. When people come here, do they experience grace? This is what we get. We get this angelic party. By the way, the angelic party is going on right now. Do you know that when we sing on a Sunday morning, we are joining the voices of angels that are already singing? See, it's a little party. This, this worship we do on Sunday is a little picture of something that's going to be much, much better. And then finally, this is an invitation to forgiveness. This is an invitation to forgiveness, both uh, in our relationship to God and in our relationships to each other. I came across a letter uh, on this subject. It was a letter that a man wrote to his neighbor. He said, Dear Frank, we've been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my tiller, you returned it in pieces. When I was sick, you blasted rap music and when your dog went to the bathroom all over my lawn you laughed i could go on but i'm certainly not one to hold grudges so i'm writing this letter to let you know that your house is on fire (laughs) cordially Bob. you know grudges are a killer they're a killer and and believe me for, for good or ill i've got a pretty good memory of bad things that have happened as a matter of fact I've written two letters to people, this has been some time back, I've written two letters to people that I needed to forgive, that that hurt me. Sometimes you just need to do that, not in every case, but you have to decide to forgive. I'm still working on this. Are there people you still need to forgive? And are you fully accepting the forgiveness that has been extended to you? I want to sum this sermon up like this, accept God's immediate invitation to forgiveness, grace, and relationship, and ultimately to an eternal party with him. See, that's what we're moving to. That's what we're moving towards is this this eternal party. But in the short term, we accept the grace, the forgiveness, and we go into relationship as a result of those things. I want to close with this, this story about uh, a friend of mine and I in college were going to go. It was, it was spring break, and we wanted to go to Florida. So we were ready to go. We had the bags packed. And then the morning came where we were supposed to leave. And we both decided we don't really want to go to Florida. And uh, I had free tickets in my glove compartment to, to Disney World and different stuff, and we were going to go to the beach. It's like, you know what? Neither one of us wanted to go to Florida. But there was this other place we both decided we wanted to go. There's a little town in Virginia called Hot Springs. You probably, you may or may not have heard of it. But see, there's a buddy of mine that lives in Hot Springs, Virginia. My buddy Doug. He he too was here with his wife uh, last summer at the July 4th picnic we had. And uh, you see, Doug's house was awesome to go to. When you went to Doug's house in Hot Springs, Virginia, his mom would make you a huge meal. Uh, and then you would always feel welcome. Doug's brothers would come over, then they'd get out the guitars, and you were guaranteed a good time at Doug's house because there was always fellowship happening. There was always people there. As a matter of fact, another friend of ours from college had already beat us over there to his house. We didn't even know they were going to be there, but see Everybody liked Doug's house because when you were there, you felt loved and you felt welcomed and you were with the people that cared about you and that you cared about. See, the invitation to the Christian life is like an invitation to Doug's house. It's a place you want to be. It's a place where you can experience grace, relationships, love. And you know what? That's what we need to be as a church. See, that's a vision for us going forward. Be in relationship with each other. Be at this party that God has invited us to. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, for your grace. Lord, that we can enter into relationship with you, and we can have relationships with each other. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't lose sight of what we're all about, God, that we wouldn't lose our vision for First Baptist Church to give it over to something lesser, something that doesn't really have anything to do with the faith that we live. I pray that we, as we go into this business meeting, that that your will would be done, that you would help us to understand the necessity of the times that we live in and, and what we need to do. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.